Is everybody out of the food? Okay, you can't tell me the answers to all these questions because you've seen this some of these pictures before. All right, I'll shut up. Unless at the end, then you know it all. They'll know how why you're the chairman. You know. I'll shut up. Okay, we're going to get started now. Um, what we're going to do, though, I'm going out of order on my lectures because Dr. Catherine Diamond is coming at 2 to give her lecture on HIV and the ED. She's lectured before on this, and she's a very good lecturer. So what I want her to do is start as soon as she gets here. So as soon as she gets here, I'm going to stop this lecture. And then I want her to do her one hour, because I have two hours later I want to do of specific lectures that aren't this lecture. This is one I could like stop any time. Okay? So I'm going to talk about cutaneous manifestations of infectious diseases. This could be things that are life-threatening, um, viral, or non-life-threatening, fungal, anything. Could anything come up as a case? These are all going to be cases. A lot of them I've taken the pictures myself of the patient over 30 years. And some I might have gotten out of off the internet or something, or even before they had the internet, copied it out of a book. But <clears throat> um, any idea um, what these three patients have? They all these are three different patients with various cutaneous manifestations of infections, three different diseases. Any idea what they could be? Lupus. erysipelas, meningococcemia, and erythema multiforme due to herpes simplex. So I'll talk, I may talk to those in the, get a, I may end up talking about those in this lecture, or maybe in part two or part three, which you may see over the next few weeks. Okay. So when you first see a patient with a rash, you know, you don't know if it's infection or not, they have a fever, maybe it's infection, um, and you're not exactly clear what it is you need to classify it into one of three categories. Is it vesicular? Is it um, petechial-purpuric? Or is it maculopapular? So if it's vesicular, you can stop sweating. There's only a few cases, there's only a few diseases which cause a vesicular rash. Then when you get to petechial-purpuric, there's a lot more, and that's where the life-threatening ones are. But there aren't that many you're going to see that you can do something about. When you get to maculopapular, there's hundreds and who knows, thousands of rashes that are maculopapular. Often they aren't life-threatening. Uh, and so you're going to have trouble di diagnosing maculopapular rashes. But vesicular, it's usually easy because there's very few causes of vesicular rashes. They're not all infections, though. Okay? But there's very few infections which cause vesicular rashes, either generalized or grouped. So here we have a patient who comes in with a vesicular rash, it's painful, and it's located on his neck. And he said it started being painful one day before it started. He never had it before. And if you look carefully, if you're looking in real life, you'd see this, or it looked like sort of a clearish yellow fluid inside, not like pus. You notice these are vesicles that are grouped, and they're all about the same size. They're quite small. So it's painful. He has no systemic symptoms. So what do you think this is? There's only one disease which would do this. Group vesicles, all the same size, and they're all small. 
and it would be herpes simplex, never herpes zoster. And I'll tell you why later. So it doesn't matter what part of the body it's on, because herpes simplex, although it's usually genital or facial sometimes, can be anywhere, and it sometimes mimics zoster if you're not aware of that the vesicles in zoster and simplex look different. So this is simplex. So he's, let's say he's a healthy person, he has no symptoms other than pain there. You could, <clears throat> and he's had, never had it before, you might like to tell if it's HS1 or 2 because it has prognostic value. Although the treatment's the same, it may or may not go away with acyclovir or something, depending on how long he's had it, but it has prognostic value to the patient because HSV1 tends to recur less frequently than HSV2. Now you can get HSV2 anywhere, it doesn't have to be genital, it could be oral or on your neck, depending on what's been touching your neck and so forth. But if it's HSV, so this is what you do to culture it. You could break open a vesicle and take a viral culture swab and just do a culture. And you order on our computer herpes screen, not viral culture. Herpes grows like Staph aureus. It grows like in one or two days. It's unlike other viruses. So in, have the patient call back in three days. They're going to say it's herpes simplex type 1 or type 2 or it doesn't grow. If it doesn't grow, it's not herpes simplex because it grows really easily on a viral culture swab that goes to a viral lab like we have. So it has prognostic value because if you tell them it's HSV2, you can say, well, this may recur quite frequently and it may be painful, you probably should make sure you go to a primary care doctor if it occurs more than three times a year. You may need to take a prophylactic acyclovir if it's bothering you, okay? HSV1 is less likely to recur. Easily diagnosed um, and by a viral culture swab. If it recurs, does it recur, recur right in the same place? Usually the same dermatome. Same dermatome. Yeah. So it's usually genital. I'll show you some pictures of that later. Or oral, but remember it could be anywhere and you misdiagnose it as herpes zoster. And I'll show you pictures later why that isn't herpes zoster. Zoster is different. Different kind of vesicles. Yes? If someone gets cold sores, let's say, are they somewhat immunoprotected against getting HSV-1 on different places in their body at least? Yes, time? they have some immunity. Okay. So there are different serogroups. It is possible to get it somewhere else, okay. but it's usually, it's very unlikely. Okay. Um, now, so, Dr. yeah. How many days from symptom onset is it still useful to treat with a cyclovir? Uh, in a healthy person who's not immunosuppressed or on steroids or has HIV with a low CD4 count, probably once they have it for two or three days, it doesn't make any difference. Although they usually want treatment anyway, and the acyclovir or other antiviral agents are very benign. There's really no significant side effects, so I'd probably do it, and they're actually cheap. So now we have, so we have, <clears throat> this is the causes you might have with fever and rash with vesicles or bulli. There's quite a few causes, but there aren't too many that are common. So you aren't lucky to see smallpox, unless you're Dr. Koenig, and she's going over the world saying that. Um, vaccinia, you know, you're not lucky to see that's a smallpox vaccine virus. Uh, so the most, the two most likely that cause rash and fever with vesicles or bulli are going to be varicella zoster, either zoster or chickenpox, more likely, or herpes simplex. And usually it's disseminated if you have a fever. Some of these other ones I'll talk about later, maybe in part two, I'm not sure I get to it today. The viral infections in children that are Coxsackie and echoviruses are called non polio enteroviruses. They're not called enteroviruses because they cause GI symptoms, though. They're called that because you infect it by swallowing it. 
but it causes rash and fever with very high fever in kids, usually between two and five usually, although it can affect adults with. You can get vesicular rashes that can mimic herpes simplex or chickenpox all over, or you can get any kind of rash, or uh, even maculopapular, or the oral lesions that you might see with hand, foot, and mouth disease or herpangina. So uh, of these, the most common things that you're going to see is going to be, that are infections are going to be the Coxsackie and echoviruses or the herpes viruses. So some of these other things are much less common, and some are not caused by infections. For example, TEM is usually caused by a drug reaction. I'll show you some examples of that, I think, next week in a lecture or the week after. And some of these are pretty rare. Okay, so that's a differential. But there's very few causes of vesicles and boa that you're going to see. It's going to be mainly these two or maybe some of these viruses. Dr. Burns, if someone has a fever with herpes or with zoster, do they need to be hospitalized or can they be treated as a patient? Well, it'd be unusual to have a fever with those. Right. So I look for some other cause, uh -huh. uh, like varicella pneumonia. Uh, so, or, or you have a misdiagnosis. But I think that would be likely you might want to admit them for IVA cyclovir. So now we have, again, group vesicles on an erythematous base, painful. This would obviously be zoster? No, simplex, okay? <laughs> Just an example, okay? That's the more common thing. So you might diagnose that as and get a culture. Okay, here we have a young girl who's healthy coming in. with uh, She has, has uh, low-grade fevers. She has some cervical adenopathy that's tender anteriorly on both sides. She has no sore throat though, her pharynx is okay, but she has these painful ulcers on her tongue and her mother said it's been there, you know, a week or so, getting worse and she has, this is her thumb, and she has these pustules on her thumb, only on the volar surface, palmar surface of the thumb, they're pustules. And they are very painful, not just tender. She doesn't look particularly ill though. She's completely healthy. And you said she had cervical motion tender. She had 10 next to <laughs> <laughs> She's about five. Oh, she's five. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's five. I said she has cervical lymphadenopathy. Cervical lymphadenopathy. Different cervical. Different cervical. So, okay. So, what do you think now? The only lesions are on her thumb, nothing else. Yeah, thumb and the uh, tongue, and maybe some of the, interior, the anterior gums or something. There's no phary pharyngeal lesions. She doesn't look particularly ill. No. So it's not, it's probably not a systemic virus because that would cause the vesicles or pustules if they are all over. Now one clue in the, when you see pustules on, when you see, the, you cannot form vesicles on the palms of your hands because the skin is too thick or the soles of your feet. The skin's too thick, so a vesicular disease ends up being pustules. It looks like pustules because the skin's so thick. So these are actually vesicles. If they're on the back of her hand, they look like the vesicles, like herpes would look. This is herpes, uh, herpes simplex, primary herpes. But the clue is uh, on the palms of, this, of the hand, any palm or surface or the soles of the feet, you cannot form vesicles. So it looks like a pustule, like a staph aureus or something. And I've seen numerous cases misdiagnosed by specialists in surgery with refractory staphylococcal pustules on the hands. And it's very painful. Cultures are actually growing staph aureus. And it's actually herpes simplex. And so this is primary herpes. So you get systemic symptoms. Usually you're not that sick, but low-grade fevers. You may have cervical lymphadenopathy. Uh, and it's not clear you need any antiviral therapy. I probably would do it, but uh, 
you could you, you probably want to do a culture. You could probably just swab the tongue and uh, and order a herpes screen because you don't normally have herpes sitting there on your tongue. So it's very easy to grow to to take to see for sure. Okay. So this is called when you have herpes simplex on your finger. It has a name. I'll show you an example later. And it used to be very common in healthcare personnel before we use gloves. Routine nurses and RTs didn't use gloves routinely in the ICU on ventilated patients. And they would get this on their thumbs or fingers. They'd get these painful pustules, and it was called herpetic whitlow. They'd get herpes simplex from their ICU patients who are sick now, and they're excreting their vir the virus in their mucous membranes again, even though they have no symptoms. And so now they use gloves, the RTs and the nurses, all the time when they suction people, and they don't, they don't get this. This is called herpetic whitlow, right? So it's not serious. <clears throat> it's extremely painful, though. The last time I saw this in an in a RT here at UCI was probably 15 years ago in the ED, and they sort of knew what it was. Maybe they had been wearing gloves or something, got contaminated or something, but, but don't mistake this because it could only be on a finger. And don't mistake it for a staphylococcal pustule. The pain is really bad. So pustules on the thumb, usually it's not like 10 out of 10 pain, right? It might be tender, but it's going to be minor pain. And sometimes the culture grows staph because staph grows on your finger. It's like cult it's on your fingers anyway, okay? Dr. Burns, how would hand, foot, and mouth contact with different Well, I'm going to show some pictures of that later, but it probably wouldn't be a asymmetrical vesicle pustules on a finger. It would be symmetrical. So you can get hand, foot, and mouth disease with Often you get lax vesicles. They call them lax because the, the fluid doesn't hold up in the pus on the palms or the soles. It's just symmetrical. I don't and know if this is still on the boards, but it used to be a common board question. Just like you're saying, a healthcare worker comes in, they show you this picture. Yeah, that could be on the boards. Not IND it. This is a herpetic infection, not an abscess. There's um, probably 25 years ago to 20, I was asked to send some slides to ABEM. Someone heard my lecture who. Some of these, not maybe this lecture, maybe the next lecture, had seen my slides. I took up some of my patients, and they asked me to s send it to them. And they've been on the board exams in the past. And now, not in any research I took or anything. I don't know. They might have taken it off. Okay, the exact picture of the patient I took in the ED. Wow. <laughs> but I didn't like the question they wrote. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> like it. <laughs> okay, so here's another one I took off the internet from ID Images, which is a good organization for good pictures for lectures. But this is a bad, there's infecting his lips again. This is herpetic Whitlow, but it's really affecting, it's not a healthcare worker, it's a child again. Well, now he has a beard, so I guess it's an adult. <laughs> so this is probably primary herpes in a healthy person, extremely painful pustules, and you could have ulcers, but again, you don't mistake this for staphylococcal disease, okay? Look like what? And what would that mean? Well, remember, this is asymmetrical. So there are diseases which give you, like erythema multiforme, which could be from a drug or infection like mycoplasma or al allergy to herpes, can gives you symmetrical lesions on your extremities, including the palms, like this sometime, but it's not asymmetrical. This is like one hand. Okay, so again, you'd probably you could culture this guy's lip for vir for herpes screen, and so you could tell him in two days or find out what it is. 
Okay. Here we're going to a little other cases of vesicles. So here, this is the actual patient I took in the ED probably 15 years ago. So uh, here he is. He has no systemic symptoms. He's healthy. And he has what, are, what these are actually vesicular lesions here, sort of scattered on his body. But they're really around this area here. They're not really all over his body. He doesn't have any lymphadenopathy. And now he had this, these lesions for a week or so, and now he's getting this scaly, sort of painful crusting lesions around his skin of his lips. Inside the mouth is normal. He's healthy. Now, so this, this right here, this to me, this part, not that part, this is actually looks like impetigo. They're honey-crusted things. So I could look at this and tell you exactly what it is because he has scattered asymmetric vesicles in one part of his body. They're all small. There's only, and there, if it's an infection, there's only one infection that does that. It's herpes simplex. Okay? Not all over his body. That could be a few other things. So uh, he has one thing in his history. He has atopic eczema. And he doesn't take systemic medicines, but he, uh, before this started, he had an outbreak of eczema, which has gone away now because he used topical steroids around his face. Okay? And he said these vesicles started sort of around his face. And they're sort of, see these right here? Those are actually vesicles of herpes simplex. So what happened to him was he got something called eczema herpeticum, which is herpes simplex reactivation. He had oral labial, let's say, and it spread to steroid-damaged skin. It's the only place it spreads to, not the rest of the body. It's really a benign thing. The vesicles, again, are all very small and the same size, like herpes simplex. And they don't go all over your body unless you're covering yourself with steroids or something. Um, and this is actually probably a group A strep um, impetigo that he got from the skin was broken. He wasn't really very really sick. So uh, we were able to culture herpes from him eventually. He wasn't admitted. I think he got like a mock augmentin and went home. It was probably some group A strep secondary impetigo from breaking the skin here. And it was herpes simplex eczema herpeticum. Here's another case of herpetic Whitlow, which I took out of a book painful vesicular pustule lesions on one finger. That was a healthcare worker. And here's the one. I took this picture in 1981 in a regular SLR camera of a patient I went you to see. what SLR means. What does it mean? <laughs> I can't. Single lens reflex. Yeah, I had a you know, regular camera with a big flash you'd carry around. You have to like spark the gunpowder. <laughs> so interesting. So this patient, when I was an ID fellow, we had a pediatric department, and there were no peds ID. There were, we had peds ID here as an attending, so the, ped, the adult ID fellows would see the peds cases with the peds ID attending. So this guy, this child was admitted to pediatrics without pediatric ID involved. Two-year-old child, he's completely healthy, with refractory staphylococcal cellulitis of his finger. He had never had fevers. So in UCI pediatricians had cultured these painful pustules and grew out methicillin-sensitive staph aureus. And he was failing treatment with oral dicloxacillin or something like that. Uh, they were just spreading around his finger. So, pla so he was admitted to pediatrics. A plastic surgery attending saw him and debrided his finger, and especially on the other side. You can't see where the nail is. They, it wasn't major, but they cut it open trying to drain all these abscesses. And they gave him IV nafcillin. In those days, there was no MRSA. It was all, and they had the cultures growing repeatedly staph aureus small amounts. It wasn't getting better. So finally, 
which they should have done earlier, is call an ID consult. So I go over there with a PEDS ID attending, and it's obvious to us that this is herpetic Whitlow. He had very painful lesions, pustules. The Staph aureus was just colonizing, and it's obvious. So we cultured it for herpes, and it's one day it's growing herpes simplex type 1. Then we asked his mother, who was there, said, yeah, I have oral labial herpes. And I had an outbreak like two or three weeks ago, and I, my, my son puts his finger in my, in my mouth sometimes or something. So, so he got better. It was just discharged the same day we saw him because we knew it wasn't serious. On, uh, I think they had orally cycled or liquid then for kids, so he went home. Um, so here's another patient with herpes simplex, which might mimic zoster. So this is in V2 distribution of the face on one side, which is unusual for zoster. Usually that's V1, right? But it can be the other ones. But if you see zoster in a V2 or V2 distribution, it's probably herpes simplex. It's more, much more likely be unilateral, and it wouldn't spread too much to the other dermatomes. Like zoster would be our, the V1, it would stay there usually. Doesn't cross the midline. And you might mistake this for some kind of staphylococcal or streptococcal infection, but it, this was pure herpes simplex. So it's likely to recur sometime, whereas zoster tends not to recur in the same dermatome. So remember, herpes simplex is really easy to grow. Zoster can't be grown unless you're a research lab. So it's easy to just swab the whole, break a few of these open with a needle, scrape them, swab the whole thing with a viral culture swab just on the normal skin too, send it for the herpes screen. And you'll know in two days, as long as it's not a weekend or something. Here's another patient with herpes of the, finger, of the hand. Okay? And I'm still on vesicular diseases. So now we have an adult male, his mustache. So he must have been one of our residents in November. <laughs> Toward the end of November, because Mervis isn't getting... There's some gray hairs in there. Yeah, okay. So here, uh, he says his... Uh, He's here with his child, who's a three-year-old with a high fever, who looks well, running around, but the temperature's 40 on the child. He's a healthy three-year-old, okay? So he said, well, I want to be seen, too. I have a low-grade fever, and I, my throat hurts. Or my... So you look in his palate, and you see these, uh, these actually, uh, they're actually ulcers in his palate. And he has, there's a few back here, but there really is throat's okay. There's nothing else. So <clears throat> he actually has hand, foot, and mouth disease, which he probably caught from his child. It looks like herpangina maybe, but actually I think his child may have had some lesions on the, the palms and soles and the buttock. Okay, so you can see this in adult males. This is usually the summer when these viruses go around, the non-polyenoviruses. Coxsackie or echo. So you've got, uh, so you could culture this for herpes, I suppose, but his child was sick with the same thing probably. So you'd probably say it's benign use Advil or something like that, and it'll go away. That could have been his child, but it was another child. Four-year-old with a high fever comes in. She looks well, but she doesn't want to eat. But if she gets hungry enough, she's eating, okay? Uh, temperature's 39.5. She's running around. There's these ulcerations, which are painful on the inner lining of the lip. The throat looks okay. And you'll notice on her buttock, that's her buttock. She has these ves vesicles, actually vesicles, and some on her palms or soles. So she has hand, foot, and mouth disease. And it, this comes in epidemics. So in children, usually between about two and five, um, adults rarely get it because they probably had a virus when they were younger with just a fever. So uh, you might see, if you see one case, you're likely to see a few more cases in our ED over the next few weeks. Okay. So remember, it's not serious. 
You don't admit them because they won't eat? Because if they, it's not, they'll eat if they get hungry enough. If you give them Advil, ibuprofen, or Tylenol before they eat, then they'll be able to eat. Usually they have the painful vesicles. You can, you, now in this kind of a case with all these lesions on the palms or soles or the buttock, you don't need to really culture for herpes simplex. But if you only see the lesions in the mouth, lips, you might want to do a viral herpes culture just to make sure it's not primary herpes, which could go on for a long time, like two weeks if it's primary. Here's again hand, foot, and mouth disease. That's a UCI patient uh, with her armband on. And that's another one which is not the same patient, uh, showing that sometimes you get vesicles on the sides of the feet. And there's the palms. OK, great. So uh, this is the uh, end of part one of cutaneous manifestation of infectious diseases.